So these two overlap, but I've distinguished between the two. The first session was about what it means to come under this grace of God and how he took a slave nation and he brought them to come under his grace. He set his leading over them, he set his love on them, and he set his discipline over them. Thank you, Frank. And the second session is really what it then means to be his people. Now that he's set his grace on them, what does it mean to be God's people? And Deuteronomy has a major theme of Moses teaching them that they are a people that are to be distinguished from all the other nations on the earth. And it's the same thing about us as believers. We are to be a people that are distinguished from all other peoples on the face of the earth. And there's a lot of emphasis in Deuteronomy on this distinction. And we can read the same verse that we read earlier, Deuteronomy 7 verse 6. I want to read it to you, you don't need to turn there. But it says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So it's very clear that there's a distinction between God's people and all the other people. And we've learned now that it's got nothing to do with that we are better than them. But it's for some unreasonable reason God set his love on us. And his love distinguishes us from all other people. And that is the beauty of the church. We are a distinguished people. Not because we are better. And the church gets it so wrong. Because we want to go out there with a big finger and be the moral police of the world. Thinking we are the better people telling these evil people how to behave. And it's a complete misunderstanding of what God's intention was. Because we are just the same as them. It's, I said last night it's just us. This humanity, this fallen humanity, but God in his mercy and grace set his love on us. And it's because of that that we are a distinguished people, not because we can go and tell the world how terrible they are, but because of his love that has been set on us. And that's why we run to the world and we appeal to them because we know that this grace is sufficient for them too. That is why we go to the nations is because... We are distinguished people, but it's a people that have this awareness that it is just a grace that is sufficient for them if they were but bow their knee to this grace of God that would come upon them. And so that's our reason that we are different. Now Peter picks, on the, picks up the same theme, and I, I know I've, I've read the scripture too earlier, but he says to the Christians, he says, once you were not a people, 1 Peter 2.10, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's the great distinguishing factor between God's people and other people is the unmerited mercy that has come upon us. That is it. And we didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. And that makes me want to say, oh God, let me tell others that they too can have this unmerited gift. So we've got this thing. And there are some things that I want to point out just quickly at the beginning. Is that clearly there's a before and an after. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Beautiful. And so you can 
Turn around to people you know are believers in Jesus Christ. And you can say to them, once you were not a people, once you didn't have an identity that would last into eternity, but now you are God's people. And last night we made some proclamations for those that were here. And we made seven proclamations. God is within us. We will not fall. You see, these are the proclamations because we are His people, God's people. And so, there are three major outstanding characteristics given in Deuteronomy about what distinguishes God's people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth. And they are words that are going to be completely what you expect. Nothing new, no, some great theological revelation. So I said tonight, it's about be still. This is what makes us different. The first one is love. Deuteronomy says, the Lord loves you. That's what makes us different. We, we those that have received the love of God. Yes, it's there. God so loved the world. But they've hardened their hearts. But somehow, in a miraculous way, God's love has reached us. We live in this incredible thing of being those that have come under his love. This beautiful word in Deuteronomy. One of the words, I don't know why, it's, it's touched my life for years. And every time I read it, it just, it's the words where Moses says, God set his love on you. It's like, it just, it, it, it's remarkable to me that God came to Alan and he took his love and he set it on me. You see, that's what it is. I live under this incredible truth that God has set his love on me. And so it distinguishes me from all other people on the earth is God has set his love on me. And I, I can't boast about it. Because I never earned it, didn't deserve it, but he set his love on me. And I think there's some things about it that we need to understand. And we need to understand it from Israel's history. Because Israel, I want to read to you what the setting of the love meant in their circumstances. It says here in Deuteronomy 7 verse 8, he said, the Lord loves you. And then it goes on and it says, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, I want to point out some words to you from this passage. There's the word hand that is repeated. He says, the Lord has brought you out with his mighty hand, and he has brought you out from under the hand of Pharaoh. So there's two hands here. The hand of Pharaoh... That was over them. It was the hand of cruelty, of slavery. For us, we were under the hand of sin, which was empowered by Satan, who came in because of that and had access to our lives. We were under the hand of sin and slavery. And then it says here that God, with his mighty hand, which is the saving power of the cross of Jesus Christ, has brought us out from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And has brought us out of the house. Now there's the second concept. There's this house. They used to live in, it says here, the house of slavery. 
And he's brought you out from that house. Now that word house speaks to me of a system. It's a system that we lived under. We have been brought out of the hand and out of the house of Pharaoh. And we've been brought under the redemptive hand of mighty God. Psalm 46. You see, that's what distinguishes us. We are those that have come out from under the hand of slavery, out of the house of slavery, and we have come under the mighty hand of God. It's such an important thing for us to realize. This is who we are. We are God's people, and this is what distinguishes us from all the people on the earth, is we are those that have come out from that. And it talks of a system, and I, I want to talk about the house of slavery. It's a system, and it's an important thing to see here that under the system there was ownership of us, you and me. Pharaoh owned the slaves. They were the slave nation. He owned them. When God brought him out, he didn't bring them out and leave them without ownership. He brought them out and he said to them, you are now my treasured possession. Possession means ownership. So we are not a people that do not have ownership. We are owned by a master. But it's no longer the master of the hand of Pharaoh, the slavery system, but we are owned by God and we are under his mighty hand and the ownership of God is one that uses the word treasured possession. Now, if you compare that with Pharaoh, Pharaoh owned them but he never treasured them. They were slaves. Their only worth was what they could produce. When they could no longer produce, they were worthless. And that was the system. And I think many of us know that that is how it is living in the systems of our world today. Is that we've got use. They'll pat you on the back while you're producing. When you can't produce anymore, you've forgotten and you've disappeared. You're no longer worth anything. That's the system of slavery. It's the system of Pharaoh. But God comes and he uses the word. He says, I've brought you out from the possession and the house of Pharaoh. And I've brought you to be my possession. But I'm a different master. And my ownership is one based on that I treasure you. Now, when you have a look at the word treasure, Jesus used that word, and he, he taught about it in Matthew 6, and he says, for where you're, he was talking about money and things like that, but he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. So a treasure is something that doesn't base value on a person because of what it can produce. That is the slavery system of possession. The treasury system says, I place value on you because you've crept into my heart. Whether you produce or don't produce, you are a treasured position. A treasure is something so valuable to me based on the fact that it's in my heart. And God wanted to change the system of the slave mindset of the people of, of Israel, who the only concept they knew of any value was to work hard that you might get less of the whip. To come into a place where God says, I treasure you. And so it's difficult for us to, to cross that. because, But these are the words that are washing us, that Peter was saying to the Christians. He says, you are a chosen generation, a people belonging to God. And I think it's so important that it needs to apply 
to us. You are a treasured possession. This is what it means to be God's people. We are treasured. I want to ask you tonight, perhaps you need to hear that word and wash some stuff off you. Sometimes even in married life, you get a little bit me looking. And you kind of say, well, nobody really notices how hard I'm working and you know, everybody in the family is, you know, and nobody gives me, and you, you know, you don't suppose you ever get into that kind of mindset. And we get into that space of like, of actually, you know, and we, we kind of get into a place where we feel we're not treasured. And we've allowed lies and deception to come into our minds and we feel we're not treasured. And we base it on various things and, and things that were, were not done or things that were done or things that were not said. And, thing, and we get into our heads this thing, I'm not really treasured. And you find many Christians that do not, they might know the theory, but they do not live in the truth that they are treasured by God. You have a place in his heart. You know that when he looks at you, it's not about, okay, what have you done to earn my love today? What have you done to, but he says, where your treasure is, there's your heart. Where your heart is, there's your treasure. He says, you're in my heart. I know these are simple truths, but you know what? Sometimes we just need to get back to the basics where we can be still. We've got to stop striving. We've got to just live in this place that I'm treasured by God. And I've emphasized it over and over tonight. It's not something we can boast about, but it's something we've got to live in. I'm treasured by God. In Romans 8, Paul says, you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You see, we have a natural tendency to slip back into the old system of being untreasured. And we want to serve God like that. We've got to simplify our lives and we've got to live as treasured people. Treasured people who've been given value by God because he set his love on us. Because he loved us. We've got to live as treasured people. You see, if we don't, we end up striving, fighting, pushing, all these things that we're exhausting ourselves because deep down inside, we just need to hear again, you are my treasured possession. That our service of God becomes the overflow of this awareness that I'm a loved people. I'm not under the hand of Pharaoh anymore. I don't work to avoid the whip anymore. I live and I work because I'm treasured. Not like the older brother who's striving and says, my father never even gives me a fattened calf and I'm working out. You see, he's lost the thing that you are my son. As, as Paul writes, he says, he, he didn't give you the spirit of slavery to slip back into fear, but he gave you the spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father. You see, that's the spirit of being treasured because a a loving father treasures. A loving grandfather, I treasure my little granddaughter. And she's like this little treasure. I mean, I've been able to hold her a few times this week. Been waiting nine months for her to come. But she's treasured. Has she done anything really? No. I'm sure she smiled at me. But then they say she doesn't have the ability to smile until six weeks. But mama, my granddaughter can. But, but she's smiled. She's, she's a treasured possession. She's not done anything. She's not brought any income into the family. 
or, or, or achieve some great thing for us, but she's treasured, you see, and there's something of that, but we want to slip back under the spirit of slavery in our relationship with God. You are treasured. You see, it's a new system. The old system was a system of fear. Sometimes we want to serve God out of a fear system. And we, these are simple truths. But you know how many times I've had to arrest myself in my tracks to say I'm living under the old system of fear. Now my testimony is simply one of the, I may share some of it tomorrow, but is I wasn't saved as a teenager. I got saved when I turned 18. But before I became a Christian, there was a time in my life, around about grade six, where I was encountered with, a, began with an anxiety, a fear of abandonment, as a 10, 11 year old, I think I was. Somehow it crept into my heart, and it got in there, and it began to grow and grow and grow until it overwhelmed me. And I went through seven years of hell of being gripped by fear, paralyzing fear. And I don't want to tell all the stories of it now, but I had this terrible fear, the fear of abandonment, the fear that the only people that kept me safe in life were my parents, and I had this terror that if something happened to them, I'd be abandoned in this world. There'd be nothing for me. And I lived with this terror. And I remember that I lived under the system of fear as that. And when I met God as my savior, I came under a new system. But because for so many years I'd lived under the system of fear, that it didn't go away immediately. But it was like God had to constantly bring me back to this thing. You are treasured. You are safe with me. I will never abandon you. And how he'd bring that truth over and over. And it took months, my walk with Jesus. But there came a day, I remember it clearly, there came a day where I, I can't pinpoint when it went, but there came a day where I stopped and I thought, you know what? It's gone. That system of living under that fear is gone. And I, I just think, that was a literal fear, a physical fear, an emotional fear. But sometimes we come under that system where we live under that. And that is what I believe John wrote about in 1 John where he says, perfect love drives out fear. He wasn't just talking about anxiety. We often use that scripture for people battling with anxiety and say, perfect love drives out fear. But actually, it's got to do with the change of system. We come out from a fear-based system under Pharaoh. Everything in this world is fear-based. And you have a look at life insurance and everything. All these things is fear-based. Everything is fear-based. And we come out of that and we come into the house of God. And it, this is a love-based system. Where we are treasured, we are loved, we are safe. That's what distinguishes us from the world. And so when we look no different to the world where the scripture says you fear what they fear. God is rebuking his church to say I've set my love on you. When the disciples were walking with Jesus, he says, why are you anxious? Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. And I mean, all of us fail when we read that scripture. All of us start sweating. And we think, Kush. But actually, Jesus wasn't just 
coming to, to big, uh, bring a big pointed finger to the disciples and say, but he says, do you not know your father in heaven knows even the very hairs on your head? You see, this is the system we are to live in, but we don't fully live there. We still slip back into fear, but we are a loved people. And it's what is distinguish, should distinguish us from all of the people on the face of the earth. So I want to just pause here. I've only got three points. The first one is love. This is what should distinguish us. Are you living in the love system of God? Every day, when you get up in the morning, or are your decisions in life based on fear? Are your choices based on fear? Or are they based on I'm loved by God? It's hard stuff, this. I know it's not complicated stuff, but it's hard stuff. Especially if we go through difficult times, we can develop a system of fear in our thinking again because life has been tough. And where was God? But we've got to let his word wash us. To say, God, I want to live every day loved. And because of that loving Else I'm just going to look exactly like everybody in the world. No difference. But God's call us to be his holy people. People who are loved by God. Second thing is, is trust. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. What this should distinguish us from all the peoples on the earth. Love firstly. Second is that we trust God. Now, in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. I want to read this to you. It's a verse that has comforted me through the worst of times. But it says here, Moses telling the people about their journey in hindsight now. And he says, he humbled you and let you hunger. And he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so what Moses was saying to them is that there was a reason God took you through the terrible wilderness with snakes and scorpions. There was a reason there. There was a reason why there were times where you hungered and there were times when you thirsted, when it felt like there wasn't enough. And then at that point, all that you had was the promise that God said, I will lead you. I will be your God. You will be my people. That's all you had. There was nothing. There was no crop to harvest. There was no fridge to go and open. There was nothing. All that you had was the word of God. And then the next day, the manna was there. And then the manna, you couldn't store up, put a policy aside of manna, whatever. You couldn't. All you had was manna for the day. And when it was finished, it was finished. Mom, I'm hungry. God said, tomorrow there'll be more. But mom, it's Friday. Okay, Sunday, there'll be more. <laughs> anyway, but we need to realize, they had to learn this thing, that what God said, he would do. And he developed in them a 24-hour faith on weekends 48. 24-hour faith. Because in slavery... They couldn't trust Pharaoh. They could never trust him. They didn't know if they would get any food that night. They don't know. 
One moment, he, he gives them the straw. The next thing, cut your own straw. You, couldn't trust, you can't trust the system of the world. We've been let down. All of us have been let down. And so God takes them and he, he teaches them to trust him. And he starts off with 24 hours. Trust me, just one day. Just one day. And eventually, after 40 years, they cross over into the promised land. He stops the manna. He says, now I want to trust you in seasons. He changes from 24 hours, and now they've got to trust him for the harvest. Four months, then the harvest. You see, he's enlarging their faith, but he's teaching us to trust him. And when we face hunger and thirst, and those can mean many things to many people, but when we face those things, God is bringing us to a place where he wants us to trust him. And I've seen in my life, sometimes it is those unanswered prayers that make me angry with God and frustrated with God and whatever. But what we, my wife and I have done, is, as I said, through the worst of times, we've kept a journal of what God had said to us. We kept it year in, year out, and we would take our journals out and we'd read them to each other and we'd go through the words. And slowly but surely, through the wilderness times, we begin to see, you know what, God said this. We didn't see it. But then when we got there, we see back that word that he said there, he fulfilled it. God is faithful. And then we got this word, and then we didn't see it for years. But when we got there, we saw it. And, we, and so what is God doing? He's lengthening our faith. God is faithful. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, God wants us to be a people who trust him. And we've got to ask and go and look in the mirror individually in the mirror as a church. Are we different to the people that don't know Jesus in our area when it comes to trust? Do we really trust God in a way that's different to them? I'm serious. We've got to ask ourselves, am I different to my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus in terms of trust? Or do I live in the same system of doubt and fear that they do? When I live in this country, when I live here, and I, I've got to, do I live just like my neighbor? Is there no difference noticeably? I mean, I might condone it to myself, but God wants to say, you're a different people. I want you to be a people that trust me. Trust me. My discipline is there. It will catch you. Trust me. God wants us to trust him for the basics, provision. It's a hard one. God wants are we a people that trust him for provision? Or are we just as worried about our money and our finances and our things as everybody else? Or are we a people that say, our Father in heaven, not our bank account isn't in this earth. It's in heaven, no inflation, no end to resources. Our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. You see, that's the place. God wants to make us different from all the people because we are God's holy people. We are a people that trust him. Are we? Or do we? So that's the second aspect. God wants us to be distinct by the way we trust him. That our neighbors can say, but why aren't you freaking out of your mind when you watch the news? He says, well, I trust him. Why? Well, he's proved himself to be faithful. What he says he will do. But Christians also suffer. 
But you know what? God says if we go through the waters, they will not sweep over me. When I go through the fire, I will not be burnt. So, so, so it doesn't mean I won't go through fire, won't go through water, won't, but he'll be with me. And so trust him. God wants us to be a people of trust, people who know they are loved, people who trust God. And the third one, which I've already spoken of, so this will be very short, we are a people who obey him. It's such a sad thing that the church will argue to obey God less and proclaim that as grace and love and stuff. It's a complete misunderstanding. God wants us to obey him because we're his people. Not to earn his love, but because we are loved. Because he wants us to stand out from the world who are who are giving themselves to, to a life without boundaries. But because we loved, we've got boundaries. We've got God has put banks into our lives that the river can flow richly and freshly through our lives. So we obey him and we stand out. We're not those that just follow the ways of the world and just because everybody's doing it, we also might do it as Christians. Everybody's corrupt, and so let's all just be corrupt. Actually, everybody doesn't stop at the traffic lights, so we'll also just not do that. And so we, we have this thing, and we, we actually, but God says, just be a distinct people. You are my people. One thing that makes us different is we obey him. We obey him. And ultimately, we need to change our attitude towards obedience. Obedience is not some form of slavery. Obedience is the delight to show the world what God is like. So that brings me to the end of my teaching on, on this. What does it mean to live under God's grace? What does it mean to be his people? Six points. I started where I began, where Psalm 46 says, be still. And I'm hoping that the, just the old basics, the truth of what it is, to live under grace and what it is to be his people, to simply walk with him will bring us to a place where we can be still and know that he is God. There is a river that makes us glad. We are secure. We will not be moved. We are his holy habitation. Though the mountains roar and ach, the shake as the waters roar and the earth's giving way and the boundary lines are falling all around our world, we will not be moved. We are his people. And so I end there and just ask the questions I've been asking all along. Do you know that you are under his grace, loved, under his discipline as a father-hearted God, a distinguished people because we are loved by him? May his Holy Spirit breathe just freedom into our hearts and lives as we consider these simple truths that he's done for us in Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 God bless you.